0: If you uh, have your Bible, turn um, about three-quarters of the way through, maybe 5 six of the way through near the end, to uh, a little letter that was written from a guy called Paul to a young man called Timothy. I love that uh, Paul calls Timothy a young man, uh, even though at the time that Paul was writing... Uh, Timothy was about the same age I am, so I'm kind of holding on to that, at least for another year. <laughs> so over the next four weeks, um put together a little series called It Makes Sense, C-E-N-T-S. And we're going to talk about something that honestly is pretty awkward for most of us to talk about, Because it consumes so much of our thinking and our worrying and our drive. Some have it and some don't. Some use it well and others waste it. And because of all the mess that we have in our personal lives and in our world around this issue we avoid talking about it. And so we're going to talk about money, and we're going to look at some of the things that God says about money, because the things that God says about money have the power to clean up all the mess around money in our lives and all the mess in this world. If only we would listen. The reality is understanding god's principles about money make sense but if we can really apply god's principles they also make cents the number one cause of divorce in our country is to do with money the number one thing that most people worry about is money. Money has this strange pull on our life. But the first thing that I want us to understand about money is that how God talks about money first of all, is not actually about money. You confused yet? Yes. Good. <laughs> because the real issue about the worry and the struggles that money brings doesn't have to do primarily with our wallets. It has to do with our hearts. And it has to do with the contentment that we have or don't have in our relationship with God. You see, our worries and our stresses about money are just a symptom of a bigger problem that rests right in here. And so the principles that God talks about in terms of money are universal to those who have a lot of it and to those who have none of it because it's not about the money. It's about our heart and the state of our heart towards God. The challenge with money is not making it, investing it, or spending it. The first challenge with money is about a contentment or a lack of contentment within a heart. Some people want to make a lot. Some people get to live on a little. But the primary base of our understanding of money begins here with contentment. And so today, I want to point us Towards contentment, because contentment makes C-E-N-T-S. I want to say three things about contentment. Three places that we can end up in if we have it or if we don't have it. We can end up in a peaceful place if we have Contentment. We can end up in a precarious place if we continue to live with discontentment. But if we can understand God's principles, then we can get to live in a very privileged place when it comes to our finances. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is how Paul starts off in. Verse 6, he says, true godliness with contentment is in itself great worth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything out with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, then let us be content." But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Paul is saying the greatest wealth that we can have, the richest we will ever be, is when we are content in Christ. And Paul says, I, I've learned this secret of what it means to be content. I've learned to be content, whether I have a lot of it or a little of it. He says, that mystery, that secret has been revealed. It's not about the cash. It's about the heart. Then he goes on to pass on some of his, his wisdom to Timothy. He says, here there are three things that you need to understand if you want to embrace a contentment that makes sense. He says, first of all, realize... Money and you're clamoring for it is only temporary and it's not really yours anyway. He says it this way You came into the world with nothing, and you will exit the world with nothing. The thought here is that anything that we have in the middle, anything, is a bonus. And this idea that we came in with nothing and we're leaving with nothing should change our perspective on finances. It should teach us not to worry. It should teach us to hold things lightly. The first thing he's saying that if you want to be content, you got to start to think differently. You came from God, you trust Jesus, you go into God. Everything in in between belongs to him. It changes perspective. We come with nothing. We go with nothing. You know, we're on this pursuit often, right? When it comes to money to, to get, 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 and more, more, more. But at the end of life, we have to give it back. I'm sure you've probably heard the story. I don't know if it's true or not. About the man who was making some plans for his funeral. He wasn't hugely wealthy, but he had a lot. And he loved his money. And so he said to his wife, he said, when, when I die, I have one last request, that you would put $100,000 in my casket so I can take it with me when I go. And she's like, that's silly. You can't do anything with it there." He said, no, 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 I, I really need you to do this. You've got to do this for me, $100,000. Put it in my casket just before they lower me to the ground. It's the only, only request I have. And he keeps badgering and pestering. And eventually he says, well, if it's what you want, I guess I'll do it. So the, the gentleman passed away. They had a lovely service and they went to the gravesite. They're just about to close the casket for the final time. And she walks, she walks up to the casket, and she opens her purse, and she takes out this envelope, and she puts it in the casket. And the casket is closed, and it's lowered, and the dirt is thrown on top. <laughs> you, got, you got where I'm going? <laughs> and they start to sprinkle the dirt, and someone said to her, what, what, what was that that you just put in your, your husband's coffin? She said, it was a check for $100,000. <laughs> Right? We came with nothing. We go with nothing. Right? If we want to experience contentment, we have to change our perspective. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I love about my wife is she always laughs the loudest and the longest. That—that is—that is is the definition of long suffering. It's, It's good. Since you came in with nothing, you go out with nothing. So if you have enough for food and for clothing, then let us be content. First of all, we need to change our perspective. Second thing he's saying here is, is you've got a responsibility to cover the basics, but once you've got the basics taken care of, then there's no need to worry about anything else. Don't, don't stress about that stuff. You have to take care of your food and your clothing because they're basic things that we need. That's why I think the gospel is so um, keen and so bent towards helping those who don't have the basics, right? Because Paul says, hey, cover the basics. And, and, and then from there, stop, stop worrying, right? Get your needs met. Don't, don't, don't worry about your wants. One of the reasons that we get so discontent with our money It's because we're caught up not in need, 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 but we're caught up in want, want, want. And part of the problem of our day is that we've confused want with need, right? A contentment towards money puts us in a peaceful place. This different perspective makes us peaceful. Once we have our needs met, then we have a foundation from which we can be peaceful Verse 9, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and trapped. Listen to these other words here. Foolish, harmful desires, ruin, destruction, craving, wandering from the true faith. The third thing that I think he's saying here is that if you want to experience a contentment about money that will put you in a peaceful place, change your perspective, get your needs taken care of, but building on that. Quit lusting after things. Quit quit wanting things that you don't need. Quit playing these stupid games that we play to get more, more, more so we can look better and bigger and prettier. Tracy and I are a little bit different in this. We'll go to the store, and I, I'm looking for the bargains, And honestly, even if I don't need it, if it's a bargain, if it's cheap, it's discounted, I'm I'm interested. And so often we'll go to the store and I'll come out with a couple of bags and Tracy's there. She's got no bags. She said, I don't, didn't see anything that I can't live without. What a great attitude that is, because in that statement, she's like stamping out this lust that so many of us get caught in when it comes to finances. Paul says this to Timothy in the next verse. He says, The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not that money in itself is wrong. He's saying that the love of money is wrong. Let me tell you why. Because if you love money, you will never be content. Money is a horrible mistress. It will mess with you. It will cheat with you. It it will screw you up. And if that's the foundation of your life, then you are in trouble. Paul is saying, don't let money be the base. Let contentment that only comes through Christ be the base. First thing that I want to say today about this issue of contentment is through changing our perspective, Through focusing on our needs, what our wants, by stepping aside from the lusts that money tries to suck us into, we can find ourselves in a peaceful place financially. Conversely, the second thing I want to say is that a discontented attitude towards money will put us in a precarious place. The huge debt levels in our nation, the huge debt levels in most households come because people are making some crazy decisions, but they're making crazy decisions because their heart is discontent. And if we make decisions about money from a place of discontentment, we put ourselves in a very, very precarious place. Verse 17, Paul says this, it says, "Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable their trust should be in God. But a translation of this world is not, if this word is not teach, it's in this translation here that says command." I get the impression that as Paul is is writing this, just like many today are, he is so frustrated that people are making dumb, detrimental decisions. He's saying, don't just try and be nice about this. Command them to get it together and figure out what they're doing. Teach, command those who are rich in this world not to be proud Not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. We've all known people and we've all heard stories of people who have lost it all. They worked their whole life to get something and just like that, what they've given themselves to is taken away. Was it a couple of weeks ago that Zuckerberg in one day lost fourteen billion dollars? Can you imagine? Yeah, and it probably didn't hurt, right? That's just that's too much. But the point is, it's precarious, it's it's unreliable. And if we're putting our trust in money, then we're putting ourselves in a very, very precarious place. When we do that, he says earlier, we cause all kinds of pain. He says we pierce ourselves with many griefs. Don't trust money. If we do, it's like that little parable that Jesus told, right, about building your house on the sand. may look pretty, but all it takes is a storm, a hurricane to come, and that thing is flattened. And there are so many people, because they have discontent in their heart, who have built houses upon sand that has just been knocked over, When either their lust for money gets out of control or something beyond their control happens to them. When we have discontent in our heart, we put ourselves in a precarious place. He says, don't trust money. That puts you in a precarious place. Instead, the end of 17, their trust should be in God. Not only is he the rock who doesn't move, who doesn't change. Not only is he a firm foundation. Not only is he an anchor for our soul. But he is the one who gives us this contentment. We all have this this hole in our heart to find some kind of God. And for many, money has become that God But that, that's a precarious place. That discontent causes us to live a dangerous life. And so we let God, through Christ, meet that need. We experience contentment. And when we experience contentment, we don't do such crazy stuff with our money. And we start to live in peace. Does that make sense? Paul is saying about money, contentment towards money puts us in a peaceful place because a discontent towards money and God puts us in a precarious place. But then to those who are starting to understand this, for those who've made this shift to, to focus their love away from money and to put it on God, not to trust money, but to trust God, to find this contentment rather than having this discontentment. He says there's something else that's great and glorious that happens. 18 to 21. He says if you can get a content attitude towards generosity, it will put you in an incredibly privileged This is what he says. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they are storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience a life that is truly life. saying, invite the contentment that comes from our relationship with God into our heart to drive our decisions. Because if discontent is there, then we're putting ourselves in a real dangerous place. But once we have this contentment, once our decisions are kind of working themselves out with God first, then we can start to be generous. And when we start to be generous, then things can really start to take off. Here's the deal. A principle that you can take to the bank. Richness in anything requires generosity in everything. Once we become rich, not, not, not necessarily in, in terms of the world because there's no promise that that will happen. We have a responsibility to be generous because as we have been given, we have a built-in responsibility to give. And Paul is saying here, once you've got this contentment, down. Once you've, you, you've filled this discontentment by trusting God, then embrace generosity. Because generosity starts to, to multiply your contentment. He, he, says, he says, rather than putting your money in an earthly bank, when you do that, when you do good, generous things, then you are laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. You're making a different kind of deposit. That is so much bigger, so much better, so much richer. And you say, man, when, when you get to heaven with all these good things that you've done, not because your good things get you to heaven, but when you see those things turned into treasure, man, you are going to be rich in the deepest possible way. He says we all need to find our contentment in in Christ. Then we can start to have conversations about money. Because if we're discontent, then we do crazy things with our money. But don't think that Contentment is just enough because there's more coming. There's a a greater thing that can happen as we embrace generosity. He says, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Be a good steward of that which is really important. She says, next, avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. He's talking about gossip here, and I I was reading this, why why is he talking about gossip and all this kind of stuff? Why is he saying to to avoid that kind of stuff? There there are lots of reasons, but one is that once we get involved in foolish discussions and, and gossip, it reveals that, do we have a discontent, right? Because gossip is either about trying to prove that, that, that we're better or to dismiss someone so we can prove that we're better, right? So he's saying avoid gossip, avoid, uh, avoid foolish conversations because those things, they can erode contentment. May God's grace, he says, be with all of you. And that's, just, that's not just a nice ending to his letter. In it, he's outlining the means through which we experience contentment and satisfy the discontentment so that we can begin this life of generosity. Because contentment comes because of God's grace in giving us Jesus, right? Right? The issues with money, first of all, don't have much to do with money. First of all, they're about our heart. And in terms of our heart, may grace be with us, right? Because it's through grace that we experience contentment. Over the last 11 months, I've nearly finished it. I've been um, reading Oswald Chambers and his daily devotion. Has anyone done that? call my utmost for his highest. Fascinating stuff. A couple of weeks ago, he made this statement that just changed my thinking on some of those issues a little bit. It would be easy to think that because of this teaching, we need to realign our priorities, and of course we do right where money was top and god was second we need to make god top and money second we need to make that shift but making that shift alone is not enough to give us the contentment that our heart desires this is what chambers says he says when it comes to issues of priority it is not simply God first or money second and whatever and whatever and whatever. He said it is God first and God second and God third. And when we are fully and solely focused on all that God is and what God has for us, then we can receive the contentment of Christ without distraction. So here's how I want to wrap up. The issue of money that we all wrestle and worry and stress about isn't first about money, it's about contentment. And if we have contentment with Christ, we can live in a peaceful place, whatever our bank account says. If we continue to live in this discontentment, we are always living in a precarious place, even if we've got billions of dollars in our bank account. But once we have established Christ as our contentment, We are invited to a privileged place of generosity where we give in the name of God who always gives us more. Find contentment in Christ. Stand, turn away from discontentment. Build a life of generosity by making sure that Jesus is priority number one, number two, and number three, and however far down that list you want to go. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, um, Lord, this world is so messed up around issues of money and our nation and so much of our lives are in bondage because of issues surrounding money the debt the struggles the worries they hold us back but those are just symptoms that come from a heart that is discontent. Jesus, I pray that over this next week, that Paul's teachings would somehow sink into our mind and into our hearts and into our spending habits and into our stress. And I pray, Jesus, that that would happen because we are letting you fill the discontent in our lives, that your forgiveness, your peace, your way will cause us to trust, and that that trust will overflow into every area of our lives, especially our financial lives. Lord, as we figure out how we want to make you more important, the money and all that kind of stuff, Lord, keep before us this command from you that we are first to seek first you and your kingdom, and then everything else will be added and will work itself out. Jesus, would you be our priority, number one, number two, and number three this week? And we ask and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.